1277 AD, the last remnants of the great Song dynasty of China were collapsing. Kublai Khan, grandson of the greatest conqueror the world had ever seen, rode south, leading his armies towards the few remaining Chinese cities that stood against his rule. The Song loyalist strongholds fell one by one, until only the two cities of Shangqing and Heizhou were left. The Chinese defenders were outmatched, vastly outnumbered, and desperate, and in their desperation they created an ingenious new weapon of war. A tripwire pulled and rotated a steel and flint wheel, creating a shower of sparks meant to ignite a fuse connected to a clay pot filled with gunpowder. The world's first attempt at a landmine, though its effectiveness was extremely limited. Oftentimes the steel flint wheel failed to create sparks, or the fuse became muddy and too wet to ignite. In either case, it did nothing to stop the Mongol invasion. The Song dynasty fell soon after, and Kublai Khan became the first Mongol leader to officially become an emperor of China. Landmines would not be used consistently in warfare again until the American Civil War, across the world and well over five centuries later. Confederate General Gabriel Rains and his brother George Washington Rains would iterate on the old Chinese design when they pioneered simple and deadly effective pressure-sensitive landmines, creating a controversial new weapon and changing warfare forever. Welcome to Shaking America, a history podcast. I'm Zach Knight. Sources for this episode will be listed on the website at shakingamerica.com and in the show notes on streaming. In 1862, with the Civil War raging, the Union Army of the Potomac was ordered south by President Abraham Lincoln under the command of General George McClellan, with the intent of capturing the rebel capital of Richmond. Over 100,000 fighting men landed on the Virginia Peninsula, and began marching towards Yorktown, the first city in the campaign. Confederate General John Magruder, the man assigned to the defense of Yorktown, was ready for them. He had been fortifying the outskirts of the city for more than a year, constructing defensive shelters and earthworks. However, despite their preparations, the Southerners were outmatched in terms of firepower and vastly outnumbered. Magruder's defense numbered around 15,000 men, but only 11,000 were in fighting shape, McClellan's army outnumbered them nearly ten to one, and his heavy artillery was larger than anything the Confederates owned. As the first Northern scouts arrived, Magruder paraded his forces in and out of their view in a circular pattern that exaggerated the apparent number of Confederate defenders, giving a false impression of their strength. McClellan, already a cautious man, was completely fooled by Magruder's tactics, and estimated that the Yorktown garrison was at least 30,000 strong. He ordered his army to slow down their advance to give him time to assess the situation, angering President Lincoln, who wanted an immediate assault on the city. While McClellan deliberated, Confederate reinforcements from eastern Virginia poured into Yorktown. By the time McClellan had decided on a plan of action, the Confederate forces had more than doubled, and now consisted of over 35,000 men. McClellan saw the opposition's numbers visibly grow, 
and was now convinced that the Confederate defenders numbered from between 80,000 to 100,000 men. He was somehow off by more than double consistently. He decided that the cost of assaulting Yorktown directly would be too great, and instead ordered his men to dig in for a siege. Trenches with heavy gun emplacements were created surrounding the city, and the month-long siege of Yorktown began. The Southerners consistently defended their fortifications and mounted several counterattacks. Ultimately, however, they were pinned down by the Union's bombardment and found themselves unable to effectively maneuver. Eventually, they grew desperate, and after a month and a day of constant artillery fire, Confederate leadership ordered their men to fall back to Williamsburg. On May 4th, a few hours past midnight, two escaped slaves appeared in the Union camp and informed the soldiers that the rebels had abandoned the city and were retreating south. The long and tedious siege was finally over. The next morning was eerily quiet. The sounds of heavy artillery no longer boomed through the air, and the constant rifle fire from the trenches had ceased. Union soldiers cautiously advanced out from their earthworks, approaching the abandoned southern city. The Union army reached the outskirts of town, sending out forward scout teams. For several hours, there were no reports, and the army slowly marched forward. Then, suddenly, the leading scout cavalrymen were eviscerated by a series of explosions that ripped up from the ground, mortally wounding dozens of unsuspecting men in moments. As they tended to the dead and the wounded, the scouts discovered an unsettling fact. Around the entrances to the city... Dozens and dozens of explosive shells were buried everywhere, primed to detonate upon contact or activation of tripwires. The Union soldiers had encountered the world's first true victim-activated landmine, an invention that would plague humanity from that point forward. The victim-activated landmine was the longtime project of Confederate General Gabriel Rains. Born in North Carolina, Rains was a career military man, he attended West Point alongside his older brother, George Washington Raines, both of them earning special degrees in chemistry. The brothers had met Jefferson Davis at West Point and fought alongside him in the Mexican-American War. When the Civil War erupted in 1861, the Raines brothers defected from the North to the South, probably because of their friendship with Jefferson Davis, or perhaps simply due to their deep love of slavery, or a combination of both. Gabriel Rains had already created homemade bombs that he had attempted to use on the Seminole people during the U.S. government's invasion of their lands in Florida, but the explosives never went off. He later created a system of command-detonated mines for the defense of Fort Columbus in Kentucky. However, the wire had been cut by Union forces before it could be activated. Despite these setbacks, Rains was undeterred and continued to tinker with his formula. By 1862, during the Siege of Yorktown, he created what he called a sensitive fuse primer. When he was assigned to the defense of the city under Magruder, he saw an opportunity to test his new and improved invention. Floating aquatic torpedoes had been in use since the Napoleonic Wars. Rains fixed his sensitive fuse primer onto an explosive torpedo and then buried it in the ground, creating a crude landmine. He then ordered his men to plant hundreds of the landmines, both on the choke points in and out of the city and on the road to Richmond. Rains did this without the knowledge or consent of his superiors. When Peninsula Commander James Longstreet heard about the tactic, he angrily stated that he did not regard it to be a proper or effective method of war. 
The man in charge of the entire Confederate army, Joseph Johnston, condemned the use of landmines as uncivilized and beyond the bounds of warfare. Regardless of their controversial nature, the new weapon was horrifically effective. Hundreds of Union soldiers had their legs blown off after stepping on one of Rain's landmines. Civil War-era doctors and surgeons were simply not equipped to deal with such injuries, and most of the victims died shortly after of infection. The Union advance slowed to a crawl as word spread to be on the lookout for what they called infernal devices. Little fun fact, throughout the entirety of the Civil War, no one called Reigns' weapon a landmine. The Union simply referred to them as buried torpedoes, or the aforementioned infernal devices, and the Reigns brothers referred to them as subterra shells, since they're placed below the earth. Get it? Subterra. News of this new and terrible weapon traveled around the world. Several notable governments, including the British Empire and France, released statements condemning the mines as barbaric and calling for them to be banned. Gabriel Rains was called to stand before the Confederate War Department and made to explain his actions. He stood firm behind his invention, claiming that he saw no difference between his subterra shells and the traditional artillery that the Union employed. Despite his pleas, Major General Johnston and the rest of the War Department were not convinced. They stated that the subterra shells were unethical and ordered use of the landmines to cease. As a side note, I found it interesting how the Confederacy was worried about the ethical ramifications of landmines while they actively enslaved a large portion of their population, but that might just be me. Gabriel Reigns was pushed into an administrative role, and for a while it seemed as though he would spend the rest of the war recruiting and assigning new soldiers instead of developing his explosives. During the Battle of Seven Pines at the outskirts of the rebel capital, Joseph Johnston was severely wounded and replaced by Robert E. Lee at command. Gabriel Rain sent several letters to Lee asking permission to continue his experiments. Lee responded by creating the Confederate Torpedo Bureau, a secret military division entirely devoted to the advancement of the new weapons. Clearly, Robert E. Lee saw the potential in Rain's invention. He placed Gabriel Rain's in charge of the Bureau and his brother, George Washington Reigns, in charge of the Confederate Powder Works, one of the only gunpowder factories the Confederacy had managed to build. The Reigns brothers quickly got to work, and by 1863, subterra shells were widely integrated into the Confederate Army. Gabriel traveled from regiment to regiment, personally instructing the soldiers in the operation of the landmines, while George tinkered with gunpowder, making larger and more destructive bombs at his laboratory in Georgia. Collectively, the two became known as the Bomb Brothers throughout the Southern military, and their work was used as a symbol of Southern ingenuity. In a time in which the North was technologically much more advanced than the South, the Bomb Brothers were a rare example of scientific progress in the Confederacy. While the Bomb Brothers' landmines were extremely successful, the rebellion they had joined was falling apart. The South was running out of money. Their entire economy was based on an outdated model that the rest of the world despised. They had less resources than the North, less soldiers, and no allies. I'm not going to go too in-depth on why the Confederacy lost the war, but I think that essentially sums it up. The Confederacy was doomed, and by 1865, Robert E. Lee's army was a small, ragged force that was low on supplies and ammunition. The landmines were slowing the Union down, but by the end of the war, they had become adept at clearing minefields. William Tecumseh Sherman had a unique solution to the mine problem. 
he forced Confederate prisoners of war to walk ahead of his army and clear the roads and fields for him during his march to the sea, turning the Bomb Brothers' innovations against their own men. And if a couple of rebel prisoners exploded, well, that just solved two of Sherman's problems at once. After the fall of the Confederacy, the Raines brothers peacefully surrendered and retired into civilian life. Gabriel worked as a civilian clerk for the U.S. Quartermaster Department, and George Raines became a professor of chemistry in Georgia. George Raines ended up publishing several books about chemistry and bomb making, which makes sense, they say, write about what you love. And we've established that the Raines brothers loved bombs and slavery, unfortunately. But they didn't write a book about slavery because they already lost a war over it. I'm getting distracted. Landmines would not be used again by the U.S. military until World War I. Internationally, landmines have become remarkably prolific and have been used in conflicts around the globe. IEDs, improvised explosive devices, are the Raines brothers' legacy. Landmines are cheap, easy to make, and are a set-it-and-forget-it weapon that doesn't require any manpower after it's placed, making them perfect for guerrilla warfare. Today, landmines have maimed and killed more than chemical, biological, and nuclear weapons combined. Around 1,000 to 2,000 people every year are killed from landmines. Landmines were the number one cause of U.S. military casualties in 2023, 2022, and 2021. Fields of active landmines plague over 80 countries around the world. And on that uplifting note, thanks for listening to this episode of Shaking America. If you want to help the podcast out, go to the website at shakingamerica.com and click the Ko-Fi link at the bottom left of the page, or just tell someone you know about the podcast. Both are extremely helpful. I'm Zach Knight, thanks again, and I'll catch you guys next time.